Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you. Good to see you again. And yes, I know I'm a little overdressed again, but I have four Christmas ties. This is the only time of the year I get to wear them. So you're going to see them whether you want to or not. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Christmas, a little bit about this time of year. I love this time of year. Uh, I love the music. The songs that we sing, I'll admit, I don't like most of the modern Christmas music. Uh, Mariah Carey just ruined one song a few years ago, uh, and I just I don't care if I ever hear that song again. Uh, but overall, I, I love the music of Christmas. And when we talk about Advent, uh, I want us today to look at some of the music of Advent that we find in the Scriptures. Uh, we're going to begin with... Uh, the first song I titled the sermon, The Song of the Savior, uh, where the angel comes and speaks to, actually, I believe, sings to Mary about the birth of her child. And then we'll be looking at some other songs along the way. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 26 Uh, through 38, 26 through 38. And if you would indulge me in this, please rise in honor of God's holy and inspired word and let us read together from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. As I, as I mentioned, I love the music of this time of year, the hymns. And, and uh, if you're familiar with Christmas and Advent hymns, uh, there's a very old, old uh, Spanish hymn called The Song of Gabriel. And I encourage you to look it up. It's very difficult to sing. It's not really a, it's not really a hymn for the congregation to sing together. Uh, it was probably written just like uh, Once in David's Royal City for some little boys choir with the very high, uh, the high voices. Uh, but it's a beautiful song that retells this passage in song. As I, as I mentioned here, the, uh, I call this the song of the Savior because when we look at the scriptures, and we look at angels in particular, throughout the scriptures, most every time we see the angels mentioned, what are they doing? 
They're singing. We see them in Isaiah before the throne of God, singing holy, holy, holy. We see them again in the book of the Revelation before the throne of God, singing holy, 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 and, and worthy is the Lamb. We see them, and we'll see in a couple weeks as they come to the shepherds, and what do they do? They sing, they sing again. And so we see these songs, these prayers put to, to, to tune, uh, to a rhythm, to, to a tempo that, that is melodic. Uh, and, I, and I wonder why, why that. And again, I think we all kind of know why. Think back to any time in your past. You know, when you were in your 20s, what was your favorite song? And I bet you most of you could tell me. When you get into the shower, what are you singing? Usually one of your favorite songs. We, we think a lot and we connect with music. And music is probably one of the best teaching tools the church has. Uh, it's often one of the mis- most misused and most underused tools that we have. But it's a great tool we have. And so it would only make sense that God would also teach and speak to us through the songs of his people and his angels. As we look at today's passage, I want us to hear the song of the angel. And I ask, can you hear the song of the angel that points to the servant? Did you hear the song as we read it? Maybe you didn't, but I hope by the end of this this time we will. For this song points to the Lord's plan to bring about salvation to the people. And think about that. In our world today, where we're seeing folks decrying the violence related to infants... We have a song here related to the infant who would come and suffer the most despicable crime of man's rejection of God and taking that infant child who grew into a man and putting him upon the cross and crucifying him. They thought to just get rid of him. But God in his song had a better plan than that, as we will see here, that he would be the son of the Most High. He would be the Savior of all mankind. Let's look at the passage. As we look at this passage, the first thing we find and we see in this passage is that the song points to the, to the unlikely, which gives us hope because it speaks of grace. Here we are where the setting is in the city of Nazareth of, of Galilee, uh, it's a small town in, in what would be the boonies of Israel now, in the northern part, just to the, the west of uh, the, the heights, uh, the West Bank. It's uh, now actually literally uh, the, the largest Arab community within the country of, uh, of Israel. A small little farming town right in the middle of nowhere, much like Many of, where many of us live. Not the most likely place for a king to come from. It was landlocked. It was poor. It was semi-desert. It was a small little podunk town. Today we'd probably say it was a one-light town. It might have had a stoplight if, if, if it had any at all. Matthew 4.15, we read... Uh, the quote from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, that shares with us that the Messiah would come from this region of, of uh, Israel, this region called uh, Galilee. And let me just find that, pass, that verse real quick for us. Matthew 4, uh, in verse 15, where we read, again, uh, his quote, the quote, 
the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This prophecy of Christ predicting where the Messiah would come from. Hundreds of years. Think of this, Isaiah, at least 400 years before the birth of Christ. It was not a place that anybody would expect a Savior. In fact, when in John 1, 46, Nathaniel, when he was brought to, or told about Christ, his response was, can anything good come from Nazareth? That was the view they had. An unlikely place for a Savior to be born or to come from. Then there's Mary. We know very little about Mary, uh, hardly anything about her background. We're just introduced to her. She's sprung on us. From Nazareth, probably the daughter of a herdsman or a farmer. Nothing significant about her. She, there's no mention that she was the homecoming queen or, or anything like that. She, didn't, she wasn't a business owner or, or the rich woman with the purple cloth or anything like that. All we know about her, all we're told about her is that she, she was from Nazareth and she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothal was uh, part of the marriage process. They were married, but they weren't really married. The, the male could divorce her, could end the betrothal, but she couldn't do that to the male. They couldn't date or see anybody else during that time. They were, for all intensive purposes, they were a couple, but they had not yet consummated the marriage or had the formal ceremony. It could have happened to a young lady in, uh, up to the, or as early as the age of 12, the age of which... She may have uh, received her bat mitzvah, the celebration of coming of age and becoming an adult. And at that point, she could be betrothed to a, to a man. Many times it wasn't by choice. It was a family decision. And again, we see the insignificance, the unlikeliness of Mary. With that betrothal, there was uh, a, a time of engagement and commitment uh, and then Often within a one or two year period, they would then have an official ceremony. Throughout that entire, entire time, as I mentioned, the husband could divorce her at any time for anything as simple as burning the toast. Uh, but we know that they weren't at this point. And we see elsewhere, we'll see another song where Joseph is told, don't put her away. She wasn't rich. She wasn't royalty. She wasn't a celebrity. Nobody knew about her. And she was expected as a woman at that time to bear a child, specifically a son, in order to carry on the family name. But at the same time, she was expressly forbidden to become pregnant during that betrothal. That would be grounds for immediate divorce and stoning. Because the only assumption would be if the husband was fulfilling his duties of the betrothal that she had committed adultery or fornication violating the commandments of God and thus worthy of death. As you think of Nazareth, when you think of Mary, you realize that the Lord never seems to choose who we would choose. Think about the unlikelies we read about in the Bible. These unlikelies that he uses to enable us to see his grace and his power more clearly. Think of Moses. 
a murderer, not wanted by his own people or his adopted people. He, he was cast out and exiled, but later he would become the face of redemption for the people of Israel. Or David, the youngest of the sons of Jesse, a shepherd boy. In that day, the shepherd was the equivalent of our garbage man on the totem pole of job scale. It was the least of the jobs and the one that you didn't want to have. And here was David, the shepherd, who would be declared the king and that from his line, his family line, would come the Savior. And now we have Mary, a poor teenage girl from a town nobody knew about, who's being told she would become the mother of the Messiah. God uses those unlikely situations and those unlikely people in ways we could never expect. As we look at the angel's greeting here in the, in the passage, and if you will look back at it, we give, we're given the setting in verses 26 and 27. 28 we read, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. His greeting can teach us about God's dealing with the lowly and humble servants of the Lord. God knows, he sees, and he reaches out to, the, to those who are most unlikely. And we see this in his greetings. Greetings. God has sent an angel, just like he did to Zechariah a few months earlier. In fact, the angel's named Gabriel here and in the previous story about Zechariah. But there, there are only uh, two angels that are named in all of Scripture. Gabriel's mentioned twice, this chapter in Luke and in the, in the book of Daniel. Michael is mentioned in Jude, Moroni is never mentioned anywhere, yet Joseph Smith swears that he came and talked to him. I don't take that. Of course, he's not mentioned here in the scriptures. Gabriel's mentioned twice. Uh, remember to angelos, the word we get angel from means messenger. He's coming as a messenger of God. The difference between Gabriel and Michael, as we know, uh, as you may know from looking at the scripture, Michael is, is an archangel, yes, uh, but he's the warrior angel. And I would think different times, the, we see Michael in the, in the New Testament, as I mentioned in Jude. We also, I believe, though he wasn't named, saw Michael in the Old Testament with Balaam and the donkey. The, remember the angel with the sword that stood in the way? See pictures of Michael also in the, at the garden when you have the angels with the swords keeping anybody from entering the garden after the fall? Gabriel, however, we see multiple times not always named. Here in this passage, to Zechariah in Daniel. But then an angel messenger came to Joseph also a few days later after this and spoke to Joseph. He's not named in that passage, but Gabriel we've seen through scriptures from Old and New Testament has been the messenger of God. It would only make sense there. And I would also submit that I believe that Gabriel was the angel that brought the message to the shepherds too. Before the big choir joined him in the song. Because again, it makes sense. He's the messenger. He's the, the voice. I don't have proof of that. He's not named. But it would make, to me, it seems to make sense when all the other instances we see of Gabriel, he's bringing the message of the Lord. And he comes to this, this young lady. He sent an angel, uh, just like with uh, Zechariah. Now, the difference between Zechariah uh, and, and Mary is Zechariah was in the temple of God. 
which would be a likely place you would expect to see an angel, would it not be? And yet here he sends this angel to Mary's house, to Mary's abode. Not the abode of God, to an unlikely place, probably a little clay thatched roof type of of place, not a very elegant looking place. And there he comes and he says, uh, the Lord greets you. What's significant is God didn't wait for Mary to come to him. He came to Mary through Gabriel. He went to her and initiated the conversation. And grace does that for us. It does not discriminate who's likely, who should receive it, who shouldn't receive it. It comes when we least expect it, and it comes in ways we don't expect it. Because if it came as we expected, when we expected, and how we expected, would it be grace at all? He begins with, O favored one, grace cannot be grace if it only comes to those who deserve it. And here, Mary realizes that in God's eyes, God's gracious eyes, she is his and he is hers. O favored one. Now that would also cause me to step back as it did Mary and say, what's going on here? Why? Would this angel refer to her as the favored one? It's not because of anything she's done, because as we've just seen, she's the most unlikely person the angel would ever come to. It can only be because God chose her to be the favored one. God initiated it in this work. And when the Lord comes to us, he will never leave us alone. He'll never leave us. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8, we read, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And we see, what do we see the angel saying to you, to her? Greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled, but he says, do not be afraid, Mary. We should not. One of the beauties that we find in this gospel and the angels speaking directly to Mary at this point is the demonstration of God's working in the lives of women also. The Lord doesn't discriminate in the giving of his grace based upon gender or status. What a blessing that is. As we look at the song a little deeper, we see that this song speaks Boldly and broadly of God's grace. Do you ever feel uneasy when somebody comes up to you and starts talking to you with flattering words? Yeah, Your first thought is probably, what are they trying to sell me? Or what do they want? You know, when the kids were smaller and you'd come home from work and they'd start, Dad, you are such a great dad. I just love that you're my dad. What's, what's usually up when they start those kind of conversations and they start throwing out the flatteries that you've never heard any other time is, is they want the keys or they want some money or they want something, right? We automatically want to know what's up. And our level of distrust trust jumps up and we begin to question the motive of the one who's speaking. Here's Mary, we just read. She steps back and says, wonders about this. And the angel says, do not be afraid. This was not 
uh, a fear like being scared of how you might do on a test. You know, she was actually having a physical fear, just as we saw Zechariah did in the temple. There's a heavenly being right here, something you've never seen, who just suddenly appears. It would be natural to be afraid. What is going on here? And he says, do not be afraid. Why? For you have found favor with God. This was the reason not for her not to be afraid. She was chosen by God. She was God's favored one. Now, we don't have to have an angelic being come to us to tell us that, for we have been chosen before the foundations of the earth. We are God's elect. We are God's people, his chosen people, his holy people, his peculiar people. I love that phrase, his peculiar people. So we should never be afraid of God's coming to us to show us and to give us and, and to make known to us the grace of God. She found favor because God chose her. It was God's grace that had come to her in the form of that angel at that moment to give her this message. And she should not be afraid, but should take comfort in the fact that she was in the presence of God's minister, God's messenger at that point. And what we see is grace in action is never what we expect it to be. Moms, how many of you would have enjoyed seeing an angel show up to announce that you're pregnant? None of us actually had that. Most of us just had a feeling, a sickness, or a test that revealed it to us. We rejoiced in the grace that God enabled us to have a child. You, you rejoice in that grace. The husbands rejoiced also. Probably more that we weren't the ones actually birthing than, uh, than anything else. But there was this rejoicing God's grace, but it was a different grace than we see presented here. Mary quickly is realizing that God sh- is uh, showing his grace in a, in a way that is far more than she ever imagined. Like in our day, the average believer in that day saw God's graces in different ways, but even then they didn't fully understand the grace of God. Remember, uh, Judaism often is about living up to the law and checking the boxes and saying, I did this and I did this. And grace was not often talked about. But here is Mary seeing it face to face, experiencing it, in a way that nobody to that day that she knew of had. But it still upset her a little bit. But it's far more than what she could have thought of and reminds me of Paul's benediction in the letters of, uh, letter to the Ephesus. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 30, 20 and 21. Mary sees this grace now in the fullness of it coming to truth. She's going to bear a son. Now that had to be troubling. She's not even married yet. How am I going to explain this to everybody? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? I'm going to be bearing a son because we've not even consummated the marriage yet. Not only, though, is she going to bear a son, 
She's already got the name. Jesus. Meaning the Lord is salvation. This had to be overwhelming. But the angel doesn't stop there with just the name. He goes, he'll be great. Not because of anything she will do. God, through the angel here, is declaring this even before he is born. Because why? Because it's a work of God. This child to be born is going to be unlike anything anybody has ever seen before. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Even before he is born, we now learn of both the humanity of this child and the divinity of this child. So when folks do question that, we see God fully man, God fully God, or Christ fully man and Christ fully God. He was Jesus of Nazareth. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and he will reign over God's kingdom for eternity. Calling back again Isaiah's prophecy hundreds of years before from chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This gracious work is far more than any mother could ever expect, is it not? Brothers and sisters, God works like that in our lives too. Don't be afraid to to trust when you're seeing God's grace coming in ways you've never imagined before. Don't step back and be afraid, but instead take comfort that God chose you at that time for that purpose. God's using you at this time for that purpose. And then hear the fullness of the song because it sings of the power of God. This is the the how of God's gracious work in Mary's life and in ours. Because even Mary is bright enough at this point to see and to know that she could never make any of this happen. Oh, sure, she could have a child. She was a female and she was of childbearing age. So she could have a child. She could do that much. But a child who would be great, a child who would be called the Son of God, a child who would be the eternal king, that she could not do on her own. She has neither the strength or the know-how to bring this all about, and so she asks in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now she's wrestling with two questions there. First, how will all of this kingly, godly stuff happen because that's not me. And secondly, how will this happen because I have not violated my betrothal vows. I am still a virgin and nobody's ever heard of a virgin giving birth before. We see then the angel singing to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The power to accomplish the work comes from the Holy Spirit coming upon you. The Spirit will super, uh, supervene. He will step in and do what you cannot do in ways that you cannot do. And isn't this how we see God at work, his gracious work in our lives? I, know I see God's grace most when God works in a way that 
I clearly realized there was no way I could have done that. When I'm teaching folks to set goals and whatnot, we always talk about that big, fat, hairy goal. That one goal that you set that there's no way it can be accomplished unless God does it for you. Now, I don't think Mary went into this betrothal with the goal of, I'm going to have the Messiah. No, she went in with the goal of having a child. And God did far more than she could ask or imagine for her to meet her goal in a way that that big, fat, hairy goal was done in only a way that God could do it. We also see the power of God will overwhelm you. And isn't this the picture of work that's bigger than anything we can do? When God is at work in lives, he may use the ordinary and the mundane. Yes, each in our daily lives, we see that day in, day out in in a lot of ways. But then there will be times where he will do a work in such a way that we cannot say anything else. But look what God has done. For my wife and I, uh, just the way everything fell into place and worked out for us to make this transition out of the pastoral ministry into the chaplaincy. Uh, it was beyond me. Uh, it, it, you know, all the th- pieces that fell in and how they keep falling in in the places and in pieces that it can only be a work of God. I don't understand it all, even to today. And yet I trust that God is busy at that work. And what will be the outcome of this overshadowing of this working of God? Look, uh, the second part of verse 35, he will be The child to be born will be called holy, set apart, pure and undefiled. So that we, like the writer of Hebrews, will be able to say, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. One who is fully man and who is fully God, who knows everything that we deal with, everything that we've gone through. He has dealt with it, lived it known it, and yet he's done so in a holy way without sin. He'll be set apart and called the Son of God, where he'll be seen as Lord. He'll be seen as sovereign. And the world and we will see God's power at work. We think about all that's going on in the world, in particular in the Middle East today. There's only one solution for what's going on there. That's Jesus Christ. They can stop the fighting, but the hatred between Palestinians and Israelites is going to continue. The hatred between Islam and Christianity and Judaism is going to continue. Only the power of God, as we see in this song being poured out upon Mary, being poured out upon God's people and upon the world, will we see true peace. A peace, which Paul says, surpasses all understanding. God's power is at work. And, and this whole song here is a lot to take in. I imagine, though she doesn't say it, Gabriel, this is way more than I can handle at this moment. And I'm sure Gabriel here, is, he's understanding. He knows that she's got these questions. How's all this going to happen? I don't understand this. What's going on? So he gives her some proof. Your, your cousin Elizabeth, definitely nuclear families in those days. 
for many of us, we, I was talking with my brother here this morning about Christmas and who's coming in, and we're both talking about families coming in and whatnot, and, and minor spread out. I've got a son and daughter-in-law coming from New York City, uh, a son, my son-in-law and daughter and, and grandchild coming from Northern Virginia, a son coming from Atlanta. We have one family, a daughter and son-in-law and two grandkids here in Knoxville with us, but everybody's coming together from all these different parts. We know each other, and, and the cousins kind of know each other. But here's Elizabeth and Mary. Mary knew exactly who Elizabeth was. Mary visited Elizabeth regularly, more than likely. They, they were tight. She knew that Elizabeth had been barren for years and not been able to have a child. So when this news came, what could be, based upon Mary's discussion with Gabriel over the last few minutes, the song is, here's another gracious miracle that's beyond me and beyond Elizabeth. It says, Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Her older cousin, she knew that God was at work. Elizabeth, now in her sixth month, could easily be seen as pregnant. So it tells us that Mary hasn't seen Elizabeth in a few months. But the angel announces to Mary, before he even announces to Elizabeth, that she, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. There's only one other person in all the world at this point that knows that, and that's Zacharias. But he is mute. He can't speak because the angel closed his, his tongue so that he's not able to speak. So he knows he's going to have a son. Mary now knows he's going to have a son. But Elizabeth hasn't been told that she's going to have a son. And that message came to both of them by the very same angel. And then he reminds Mary of what Paul reminds us. Nothing is impossible with God. It's a principle that Jesus also talks about in the Gospels when he talks about uh, uh, it's more difficult for a needle, I mean a, a camel to, uh, to go through an eye of a needle, more likely to than for a rich man to come to know the Lord. And Jesus says, but with God, all things are possible. And Paul writes to us in Philippians, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. All things are possible. Oftentimes when we fail to see God at work, it's not because he can't do the work, but it's because we won't or don't believe that he is doing the work. So if Mary sees all of this, he's offered her, here's proof, but you've got to go visit her to see it. But Mary accepts that work of God with no other questions asked and replies, Behold, look at me. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She realizes, based on that statement about Elizabeth, the proof that she's there, that God is at work, and at work in her, and she says, look, I realize now I'm the servant of God. Do as you said you will do. She didn't put conditions on God. She accepted the power and work. And what can we learn from that? Is when we see God at work in our lives, when we see the grace of God working in and amongst us, don't, we don't need to put conditions on God. But don't try to hinder the work. 
Let it be according to his word. He has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that he will make us into his children. He has promised that we will be heirs to the kingdom and all that Christ has, we will have. He has promised that if we are anxious for nothing, but lifted up through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that we will know the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. He has promised and sealed us with his Holy Spirit to remind us that we are his and nothing can snatch us out of his hands. So we should do nothing to hinder that work. But accepting that work in his work in our life. As I close, let me remind you that God brought you here today for a reason. We call it providence. And in his providence, we are all here. What was the reason he brought you? How are you going to respond to that gracious act of God? And those who aren't mourning people are probably saying, well, it really isn't that gracious. I had to get up earlier than I really wanted to. But it is a gracious act when we remember and realize that God could have called us home during the night and we wouldn't have had the opportunity to gather to worship together with these brothers and sisters in the Lord. We'd be called to the heavenly choir. How will you respond to God's work? Will you deny it? Or will you, like Mary, respond, I'm your servant. Let it be to me as according to your word. I pray that we all today would acknowledge the work of God in our lives and give thanks for the grace that he has shown us. For he graciously sent us a Savior, Jesus Christ, as we see in this song. Sent Sent him to us that we might be his. Let us go forth today to our workplaces, our schools, wherever we may be going, and live as though we have been redeemed by the Son of God, the Most High, the child, Lord, uh, the Son of the Most High, the Lord and Savior, the King for all eternity, Jesus Christ.